0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station.
1: Hi, I'm Hanif Haruddin and this is GG Well Played, BFM's video game show. It's the end of the month, which means it's time for our monthly roundup of big news and releases with Jonathan Leo from Kakuchopure.com. We're going to start with the PSVR 2, which will be released soon. Uh, yes,
0: they are releasing the PlayStation VR 2 soon. Uh, it's going to come out on the 22nd of February, which is a couple of weeks from now. And they have just launched a full launch lineup. I'm just going to mention some of the games that might be interesting. So from the top, they've got new games, like just brand new exclusive for the VR 2, which are Horizon Call the Mountain, which is a spin-off of the Horizon series. So you are in a first-person perspective, most likely climbing and fighting mechanical dinosaurs and animals, the machines and you've got Dark Picture Switchback a horror game to, exclusively for the PSVR made by Supermassive the same people who created the quarry until dawn and the multitude of Dark Picture games they've done and then we've got Vision 202X and you've got The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners Chapter 2 Retribution other titles include The Light Brigade, Cosmonius High, Pistol Whip, Tentacular, Creed Rise to Glory Championship Edition, A Boxing Game, and a couple of other titles which might be familiar like you've got Beat Saber, you've got Res Infinite, Tetris Effect, Thumper, and Vacation Simulator. Those titles I mentioned are actually on the PSVR and on other devices but they're tailor-made just for the psvr 2 because as we have reported earlier on the psvr 2 will not be
1: backwards compatible Mm, yeah um sounds like a solid lineup of games there what do you think well this is actually all right for a launch title
0: especially for a piece of device which is actually complementing a playstation 5 which is already expensive and hard to find to begin with Mm. so i'm not sure how this will fare this might be like VR itself is not really that it is mainstream, but not completely mainstream. So, the and well, it is actually kind of mainstream when you're coming when you're looking at it from a PC platform perspective, using Meta and the Quest and whatnot. So, for the PSVR two side, I believe it is more like a niche of a niche thing for a console that's already hard to find. So, I am not sure how it's gonna find a market, but I'm gonna wish to wish PlayStation the best of luck. I don't know what the numbers are for PSVR, but that actually came out to like maybe a middling fanfare. So I'm going to assume it's going to be the same thing for PSVR 2. So it needs that particular new title that actually would make people go buy a PSVR 2 and hunt down a PS5. So far, I'm looking at these four titles. They look interesting, but it is nothing we haven't seen before in other VR devices and titles. So... There you go. I mean, in fact, the titles which people are going to go for, like Beat Saber, they have existed in previous
1: iterations of the PlayStation VR. Mm. Yeah. Um, what about the, I guess, the lack of uh, backward compatibility for the old PSVR on PS5? Is I that think
0: that part? could actually hurt the PSVR in terms of getting new customers on board. Mm. Having backwards compatible is what actually makes people want to sort out consoles or justify them paying extra for more apparel and more units and more third party or even more uh, peripherals. Because at the end of the day, it's always the games that matter. I mean, you're not going to buy a VR device because of its uh, free app, right? You're going to buy it because you want to actually buy other titles complementing it. So as great as the PSVR might actually be in practice and, you know, in terms of reviewing it or whatnot, it's actually meant, I think this this launch lineup is actually meant for early adopters who have money to burn. Not for the casual audience, not for like people who just want to play games, commonly for the PS5 or anyone who isn't an early adopter la, basically.
1: Mm, yeah, alright. So uh, moving on, let's talk about uh, Blizzard and what happened in China where apparently some of their games went offline. <laughs> yes, uh, after a
0: soured deal where Blizzard offered like a six-month new contract to NetEase on the grounds that they are looking for a new partner after so many years of them serving them, NetEase just basically said no to the deal, saying it's unfair, and basically just made all Blizzard games offline in China. These include Overwatch 2, Diablo 3, World of Warcraft, Hearthstone, Heroes of the Storm, and StarCraft 2. As a result, yes, um, they couldn't come to terms, so that's why NetEase just decided to just cut off ties with them. Diablo Immortal, however, is still active since that's under a separate mobile deal in NetEase. And because of this, the Chengdu Hunters, one of the teams competing in Lizard's Overwatch League, posted a sad goodbye to the game that actually made the team, you know, popular in Overwatch League in the first place. I mean, if you recall in past Overwatch League tournaments, China has been very dominant next to South Korea. So with that cut out of the way with no legal way to access Overwatch or Overwatch 2, I guess the esports team will have to call it quits for now. It's a very huge impact considering no one in China can actually play an online title. It's a very huge blow for World of Warcraft players because a lot of them are from China for multitudes of reasons. Of course, a big player base, despite all the changes Blizzard had to do for the Chinese version of World of Warcraft, this also means that I think, I believe China will be creating its own World of Warcraft clone. I mean, there will be a different company, obviously. But, you know, a lot of trademark and copyright laws basically fly off a lot of developers in China's heads. So, as a result, if you basically make your game inaccessible in that country, any company can just jump in and make their own clone and arguably make, make a better one. Or, there's a vacuum to be filled, basically. And unless Blizzard does something about this, that vacuum is going to be really, really filled up Like, and it'll be too late. And Blizzard actually misses out on the really huge market share lah, in that sense. And this could also screw over Blizzard in terms of having like a nice player base for future games like, oh, say, Diablo 4, which is probably going to be big in China. Unfortunately, that can't, that can't happen anymore.
1: Hmm. Um, so, will, will this be solved anytime soon or do you expect this to linger?
0: It will be solved, but I believe Blizzard needs to actually own up to their mistake and just continue having NetEase as a partner somehow. Because I don't know which other partners Blizzard can have, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of, like, loyalty and player base and customer base. If they can find another partner, yeah, sure, why not? But in terms of, like, just, you know, closing in the gap of China relationships especially in the software department, I believe Blizzard need to start shopping for a new partner really quick.
1: (laughs) All right, moving on. um, The Last of Us uh, HBO series has finally been released. Uh, I think they're going to stagger the release of the episode, but apparently um, it might be successful enough that HBO has decided to renew the series for the second season.
0: Yeah, there's been two episodes out and the show has been getting a lot of rave reviews from... Basic viewers from even non-gamer viewers and everyone else, they feel that the adaptation basically stucks close to the script and follow the beat-by-beat plots while adding in some new segments like the origin of the virus that actually caused the Last of Us situation. And also the casting and everything actually worked out really well. People do like Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey's chemistry alongside the other additions like the actress who played Tess and, you know, the upcoming episode featuring Nick Offerman as Bill. So there's a lot going on now with the series. Like, it's been snapped up for a second season. If I have to make a prediction, the first season might actually end the first story of the game, while the second season will probably be for last of us 2 and who knows maybe they might we might have a new completely different story after for a third or a fourth season so there are so many things can play around maybe they could be like the in-between between between the first and the second season story because many years have passed you know because ellie has because in the last of us part 2 ellie's all grown up like so many years have passed yes and it'll be interesting to see how things go from there
1: Hmm, yeah, I mean, um, I haven't yet watched the series, but I mean, as a fan of the first game and the second game as well, uh, I think I, I just want to check it out soon to see what it's like. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I would suggest just maybe waiting a couple of episodes and then you can just watch it in a row. It's an hour mm. plus so bunch of episodes. So there's a lot packed in and... If, I mean, yes, they, they do add in some nice touches here and there, but generally the script has already been written for most of the part because it's from the game itself. Correct. So no doubt the second season will be about the same. Maybe some little additions here and there, more fleshing out from both factions, um, Ellie's faction and the other character, Abby's faction too.
1: Mm, all right, okay. And moving on, um, another drama involving Xbox and PlayStation. It seems to be never ending between these two, right?
0: <laughs> yes, never ending. Oh yes, we are talking about Xbox actually passing over a subpo- subpoena to PlayStation and Sony Interactive Entertainment. This is for Xbox to build its defense against the Federal Trade Commission lawsuit. So according to a recent court filing you can find online, the Xbox maker wants Sony to divulge information it believes is relevant to its case, which may include confidential details that Sony would be reluctant to share with its rival if possible, i.e. release schedules, what projects they have in the next five years or so. So, yeah, this is what happens because this is basically a retaliation from Microsoft because Sony actually did plead a case with the FTC that the whole buying out of Activision Blizzard and the Call of Duty franchise could mean, you know, uh, it could dwindle competition as we speak if they buy Activision Blizzard, right? So Xbox basically just countered, countered this line in that sense. So it's just them playing by the rules in terms of court filings and whatnot, so... PlayStation will need to actually answer the subpoena really quick. And if they answer it, they have to basically have all their plans all laid out for Xbox. I mean, they obviously can't share it in public, but Xbox will probably get an upper hand with all this info they have to plan ahead for what they can do in like the next five years in the production cycle for games and whatnot. First party titles per se.
1: Mm. what's your prediction in terms of the to and fro between these two companies uh, are we expecting a long drawn battle between the two uh, a long run
0: battle because I believe they only can start court cases like in the middle of 2023 the second half of it because they have to process these things here and there if the subpoena and the court case is, is answered unless uh, PlayStation can just drop everything and not be this <laughs> about it all I'm saying like if mm. they can just drop it just let everything just go the way it is And just, you know, focus on making better games and, you know, making better in-house company decisions. And because this is more like a competition thing. If you, like, it's the same with the tobacco industry. If you have other products that are, you know, competing against tobacco, these lobbyists are basically putting lawsuits and making sure some rules are changed so that certain other legal substances cannot be carried out. So this is the same idea where, you know, you actually, if, if, you, can't, if you can't beat them at their own game in making better games or making better game passes services, uh, just use the law to your advantage in that sense. So I believe that's what PlayStation and Xbox are doing back and forth.
1: Mm, yeah, it's going to be interesting seeing, uh, you know, how things will pan out. Uh, further the- on, yes. Further on. <laughs> yes, correct. Yeah. Uh, uh, but at the same time, I think uh, Xbox is also quite busy together with uh, Bethesda. Um, they had a developer direct conference uh, showcase of sorts, um, like I think a couple of days ago. Yes. Uh, and there were a lot of games that were uh, showcased as well, right? Quite a number of new games. Um, We finally get to see Minecraft Legends. It's a
0: real-time strategy game set in the Minecraft universe. You get to control little voxel characters and, you know, fight other different players here and there in PvP and PvE glory. So the game will be coming out on 18 April for PC and Xbox. Forza Motorsports also showed off its new tech and graphics, so the cars look shinier than usual. It's a lot, basically realistic-looking cars. So the game will be out in 2023, most likely late 2023, if it's making room for other earlier Xbox titles, like Redfall, the upcoming co-op shooter, Luther Shooter from Arcane, set in an open-world vampire-filled town of Redfall. The game itself will be four players. Each of your characters have different power-ups, and they'll have that Arcane style of non-linear, narrative-driven kind of gameplay. The game will be out on the second of May. And last but not least is a surprise drop from Tango Gameworks, the makers of Evil Within and Ghostwire Tokyo. Hi-Fi Rush is a new game from Tango Gameworks. It's Xbox and PC exclusive and it came out as soon as the presentation ended. So it came out a couple of hours. It was on Steam. It was on Xbox Game Pass. People get to play it. We'll talk about that more later on in a bit in our video game section for the month.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I was quite surprised by the release as well. And yeah, I will talk more about that. But there's also uh, Elder Scrolls um, Necron Online. Uh, Necron Online is an expansion where players will be taken to
0: Morrowind, which is a very fan-favorite area since, you know, Elder Scrolls 3 Morrowind. So new expansion and also having the entire Elder Scrolls Online and its expansions available on Game Pass. I believe that's coming out in June, July, around those periods so middle of the middle of the year, basically. So there's be a, there'll be a lot for people to play through if it's their first time playing Elder Scrolls Online.
1: Mm, yeah. Um. On top of that, no Starfield. They say that they're gonna probably have a standalone show for that. uh Later down the line. Um. Yeah.
0: They're saving that. There's actually. I'm hearing a lot of rumors that it may be coming out, not in the state they want. But hopefully that isn't true. Uh. Hopefully it's coming out like the second half of the year. We'll see some updates and whatnot. I just don't want to see another Fallout 76 situation in
1: Bethesda's hands lah. Alright, so we also have a quick announcement of an eSports initiative by Kaku Chupure. So we have recently, Kakucho has recently
0: announced an upcoming eSports initiative called Leap 2023. It's short for Liga Esports Antara Parliament. So it's two or more constituencies in Malaysia represented by players and gamers of all ages duking it out over titles like Mobile Legends, Street Fighter V, and FIFA 23. The initiative is to encourage grassroots level development of esports since the circuit is going to feature young and new players. For the first deep tournament, it is happening in March, and Nick Nazmi or City Wangsa is one constituency, and Charizard is representing Bangi constituency. So it's like both of them will be duking... I mean, both of them with your representatives will be duking it out. So the finals, which is happening on the 18th of March, will be at Space Rubix. And right now, uh, Kakuchi Oprey is finalizing with KBS to officially support the initiative, the LEAP initiative, with the level of participating and skill being grassroots and amateur circuit across the country. And most importantly, it's bipartisan. So if any area wants to be part of it, uh, people should be telling their uh, MPs and Kakucho Pre will definitely get in touch, lah, in that sense. You can mention it on Twitter and whatnot, or on our website. And we also have Season 2, which is planned for June and July. We are aiming for eight constituencies, including the likes of Sait Sadik of Moir, Adam Adli of Tua, and Sherlina Rashid of
1: Bukit Bundera. Do you have any questions on your side? Sounds fantastic. Uh, how's the pre- preparation leading up to this? Uh, so oh, far? yeah, okay. yeah,
0: it's going. It's definitely going. We'll have more news popping up in the coming few weeks or so. We should have a Facebook page already out right now. And if there are any updates, go to Kakucho Parade on Twitter. And we also have a media partner, Ac- access also helping us out too. So thanks a lot, guys.
1: Alright, we'll be doing a follow-up on this as we head nearer to it, but in the meantime, that was Jonathan Leo from kakujopore.com looking back at some of the biggest news in the gaming world this month. We're going to make way for some messages. After this, January releases including Hi-Fi Rush, A Space for the Unbound and Dead Space Remake. Stay tuned, this is GG Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Gigi Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharuddin. Jonathan Liu, Content Director at kakuchopere.com joins me to round up the biggest news and releases from January. Let's talk about the games that were released this month and we're going to start with Hi-Fi Rush.
0: Uh, yes, let's talk about High fi Rush. It is an action a 3D game In the Veins of Beautiful Joe, Devil May Cry, like a character action game, where you play a character of a robot arm named Chai who fights with a guitar against the robots who are trying to kidnap him in the corporation. So you team up with another rebel fighter named Peppermint, and you team up to take down the corporation. And the cool thing about this game is it actually follows a rhythm beat mechanic where you have to fight enemies to the rhythm of the song. So if you do a combo, to the song's bass and the rhythm, you'll hear like a hey or a chai, and then you get that feedback, and then your attacks actually deal more damage. You can still fight without following the beat, but you won't actually clear the stage faster unless you follow the beat and the rhythm of the song per se. So you'll be fighting bosses in a spectacular fashion. You've got like numerous references to old 2000, rhythm games. You even got, like, references to Twin Peaks of all things. And even, like, a little nod or two to uh, the evil within in terms of, like, cameos or whatnot in robot form. So it's quite like a little jump from from survival horror to spooky games to, like, a very colourful Saturday morning cartoon-like action game featuring cartoon characters. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, it does look... I mean, the art style definitely looks interesting. Uh, I'm quite curious to know whether it also... In terms of gameplay, um, does it match uh, No Straight Roads, perhaps? It is very similar
0: to the point where even the No Straight Roads creator, Juan Hasmer and the music director, Falk actually did mention that. And they're actually feeling very, very honoured that Tango Gameworks actually followed concepts from No Straight Roads and make their own spin on it but obviously with a bigger team and a much bigger budget. You have to remember Tango Gameworks is under Bethesda and Microsoft Bethesda big budget, mm. right? Yeah. I think they were like what, 10 programmers just for the you know, the programming of Hi-Fi Rush alone itself you know, to getting the beats down and whatnot the music popping up and making sure that the environments are matching to the tune of the music that's playing. Even the main character is snapping his fingers to the beat to the song itself so there's a lot of like like polish and technique and all that I feel that the gameplay in Hi-Fi Rush is very very polished but then again this is from Shinji Mikami I mean he produced the game and he is and then you got the directors and developers who know how to make these games under the Shinji Mikami's tutelage so it's got that you know vibe of an action game in the 2000s like I said but in a more polished format and
1: using music
0: as the weapon so to speak
1: yeah so yeah, I'll probably give, give that game a try soon. Uh, moving on, there's also uh, Fire Emblem Engage uh, for the Switch. Yes, it is a Nintendo Switch strategy game where you play
0: as a red, blue-haired warrior named Alir who has to save the world from the fell Dragon. This time, you can summon past Fire Emblem heroes from your new ring artifact to join you in battle, in addition to the party members you recruit. This Fire Emblem game actually goes back to what the series was with Awakening and Fire Emblem Fates, where it's very linear and combat is a bigger focus compared to the social mechanics. So it's very different from Fire Emblem Three Houses back in a few years ago. So if you're looking for a traditional strategy RPG game to play, you'll love Engage because of the new mechanics like Break and the wholly huge focus on combat and permadeath as well, which is optional, by the way. So unless if you're looking for something persona-like or social, yeah, you should play Fire Emblem Engage.
1: Okay, um, up next in the list, um, a game that's made by our neighbours, A Space for the Unbound. That is correct. It is, it's A Space for
0: the Unbound. It is published in Indonesia by Toge Productions and created by Mojiken Studios. It's about a high school kid named Atma who has a girlfriend named Raya who can warp reality. The game plays out like a slice-of-life adventure title set in the 90s Indonesia in a rural town. So you see a lot of Southeast Asian and Indonesian mainstays and knots like mie, old school internet cafes, and even wedding ceremonies at the side of the street. So the game's highlight mechanic is space diving, where you get into the psyches and minds of troubled individuals and solve their problems, usually in the form of logic puzzles. There's actually a bunch of twists, but I cannot mention them because of spoiler. I mean, that's the whole point of these kind of games, where the story itself has, is the meat of the puzzle itself in that in the adventure. So I must say that after playing eight hours of it, I'm very impressed to the point where it could be like my top five next to Hi-Fi Rush. The Space on the Unbound is very impressive in terms of telling a story. It touches upon bullying and depression and... Even, you know, like 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 trauma and whatnot, like what people go through and it actually tackles the subject matter in a very respectable and classic light.
1: Mm, yeah, the art style also looks quite nice.
0: Oh, it reminds me of like a, a 16-bit title in a sense, like maybe a PC 8-bit title in that sense.
1: Mm, yeah. Uh, Speaking of um, 8-bit, there's another game that's also um, 16-bit style, Vengeful Guardian Moonrider. Ah, yes.
0: Moonrider is a 16-bit style 2D action game where you play a cyborg samurai with attacks like who who are similar to Strider Hiryu from the old Strider games back in the day. There's a lot of 2D platforming and combat. So you've got like one... Major, one main stage, the first stage. You've got like eight stages where you can pick any order, a la Mega Man. And you've got like a couple more final stages where you gotta fight the final boss. So you got eight different bosses. You've got a lot of different uh, power ups you can actually collect and fight enemies with. So all you got like a lot of different stages, like riding a bike in a three D third person perspective where you're seeing the screen and things are coming in front of you, sort of like a first person perspective, like a Super Hang On or Moto GP, those old games back in the day. And yeah, the, the combat itself is just reminiscent of games like Shinobi and uh, 2D action games like Hagane. So if you're into retro 16-bit titles, you might want to check it out. It's out on PC, PlayStation, and it should be on Nintendo Switch as well. I'm not sure if it's out for Xbox yet, though. So. but it should be for most consoles. Yeah, is it difficult? Uh, it's actually kind of difficult if you're trying to go for a speed running thing, but it's pretty, it's quite a breeze to go through initially, but if you want to get like a S ranking and not get hit. That's when it gets really, really challenging. In fact, Mm. you actually get chips halfway in the game. You can collect from secret areas where you can actually make the game harder for yourself or easier for yourself. Like maybe add a double jump or like an air dash or even better. You can have a glass cannon uh, chip where you get, if you get hit once you die. So you can actually make the game difficult for yourself. <laughs> so you got many options, but generally, I like how the game controls and feel, and how it replicates uh, Shinobi Revenge of Shinobi and Shinobi Three style kind of game back for the Mega Drive, back in the Mega Drive days.
1: All right, fantastic. Moving on. Um, this is a release that I almost forgot, but it was just released recently. Um, the Dead Space remake. Um, so yeah, have you played the game? Uh, yes.
0: Actually, no. My writer actually did play the game. <laughs> He has told me that it's exactly like how you picture Dead Space to be, but in 2023. So Dead Space is actually a remake of the 2008 title for Xbox 360 and PS3 and PC, where you play as Isaac Clarke as you explore the USS Ishimura in the far future, where obviously something is going on wrong. You got like mutants and aliens coming up in in the... monsters in the ship itself and you gotta find a way find out the mystery and find your girlfriend uh, nicole so yes you've got a lot so basically you're getting shades of event horizon and other space films like even alien to an extent where you're stuck in a very empty hollow ship full of monsters and as an engineer you get access to like different power cutting tools And a lot of different weapons here and there. And somehow your engineer character actually has access to telekinesis. She can lift up things and use saw blades to solve puzzles or even kill monsters. There are a lot of puzzles in this game, just like in the first game. But the major differences is there are some areas in zero gravity where you can freely move around compared to the first game. To the original game. And you've got like a little bunch of touches here and there. Like even side quests as well, you get to participate to earn more cash, to buy items, to buy ammo and whatnot. There are quite a number of touches here and there. And there's even a new game plus. So if you finish a game once for about 10 hours or so, you get to play it again with all your equipment back. And even an, el- alternate, a- an alternative ending, you get to, f- to unlock if you find certain objects in the new game plus. Mm. Sounds like a, a solid remake. Oh, yeah, yeah. It looks really good. The lighting effects are really well done. Controls are great. The story itself, even though people might find issues about Isaac speaking, it just feels a bit more immersive, if that makes sense. Kind of like what Part 2 did back in a couple of years ago. So the remake actually does the original a lot of justice. People are probably going to buy this more and go for it because it just feels really great. In fact, it can actually wipe off the the really sour taste that people got from the Callisto Protocol last month. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I was just about to talk about that game as well. Seems that the timing of the releases are, are not great for, I think, for Callisto Protocol. I yeah, Callisto Protocol, it's
0: easy to tell that the game was rushing to beat Dead Space. And yeah, it's it's terrible how that happened.
1: Yeah, why, why play that when you can play Dead Space? <laughs> yeah, when you play outright. Dead Space remake. Yeah. yeah last but not least um, there's also uh, Persona 3 Portable
0: it is actually a port of the PSP uh, RPG Persona 3 Portable uh, back in 2009 so this is a PC and console port so it's out everywhere so it details the story of Persona 3 where you play a student who has to explore a city on an island where the midnight hour happens and you have to fight through a tower called the Tartarus to solve the problem of shadows popping up and you know infecting the denizens of uh, the city you're in. So, this is actually the first game that started the trend of mixing social linking and visual novel and, you know, dating and whatnot in a JRPG with, you know, combat and whatnot. So, because of Persona 3, you got Persona 4 and Persona 5 following that same template. Now, the PSP version, basically the PC version actually follows... The portable version where you get to play as either a male or a female character. All the talking bits are all presented in the visual novel, but the dungeon crawling bits are about the same. So as a female character, you get to date different characters and make friends with different characters differently than the male character, of course. So you've got two different storylines. Basically, you want to play... If this is your first time playing Persona 3, you should play the male character and then the female character. For veterans of the series, you can play as a female character straight away. So if you want to see how Persona 4 and 5 evolved from, where it evolved from, you should play Persona 3 Portable. It's a really okay port. My only complaint is the graphics are just stretched out for a lot of the visual novel bits. So it does look a bit ugly and blemishy. But apart from that, you can't go get any better than that in terms of like playing the Persona game that actually made GRPGs mainstream.
1: Yeah. Um. Is this a good place to start Um. if, if let's say somebody has never played um the... The whole Persona franchise, is this a good place to start, perhaps?
0: Honestly, I would feel Persona 4 is the best game to start because it has all the mechanics and whatnot that's all refined. Persona 3 Portable is more like a historical artifact, a curious artifact for people to explore. So if you are a big JRPG fan and you played Part 4 and want to see how Persona 3 handled a storyline, then you should go and check that out. So it's more like it's dealing with an islander, how, how a new person deals with an island city. So it's got that whole new perspective as an outsider. And also to see how Japanese
1: culture is from that perspective. All right, sounds good. Um, Any other games you'd like to mention apart from Um, these games?
0: Well, i like to mention Forspoken, but I believe this section we're talking about good games, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, Forspoken is an okay game, but I would highly suggest you just wait wait for it to come at half price. So Forspoken is a... Action RPG open world title using the Luminous engine from Square. It stars a woman named Frey who has to get isekai into this uh, fantasy world and then has to explore this new magical world with new magic powers. So it's got this whole magic parkour thing going on. So you get to free fall, run around, and explore, and use spells to fight enemies. It's okay, I to say that. I don't want to spoil the story and whatnot. It's decent. I like how the story goes, especially how you actually get a lot of the better powers at the second half of the game. The problem is you actually spend a lot more time do, using the same powers at the beginning, at the first half of the title. So I wouldn't recommend it yet. Maybe wait for it to come half-priced Then you can see what the hubbub is about. I don't know whether there was a bit of hype with the game, but I think, yeah... A tiny bit of hype until they saw the advertisement and how they showcased the dialogue from the game. I feel that in context, it works. But... I mean, it did—it does get better over time. But at the
1: same time, that's probably not
0: the way you want to advertise a
1: game in the future. Mm, Alright, okay. Um, so, uh, what can we look forward to now, next month? Next month, I
0: believe we have Hogwarts Legacy and... Like a Dragon Ishin, where it's a Yakuza game, but set in like the Bakumatsu Roman period in Japan, where you play as Kiryu Kazuma as a samurai under a different name, but he looks like Kiryu, Kiryu Kazuma. Oh, Big, big games there. Yeah, two right? big games, two big games. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from that, I think there should be a couple more indie titles coming out, but we'll just wait until they're confirmed lah.
1: You're tuned in GG Well Played and I was Jonathan Leo, Content Director at Kakuchopore.com summarizing some of the biggest news and releases in January 2023. Head on over to their website, Kakuchopore.com to check out more gaming news and reviews. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on bfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find our podcast on Spotify. Do share your thoughts on the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at bfmradio. My name is Hanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. You have been
0: listening to a podcast